I'm Sammy Lucas, and I'm romantically challenged. I'm also pandemically challenged right now. As I record this episode in August 2021, I'm sitting at home in Sydney alone in yet another extended lockdown. Now, this certainly isn't my first lockdown, but this one feels different. And I know all my friends are saying the same thing. It's like the fear and anxiety we felt during previous lockdowns has been replaced by frustration and anger and despair. We're all wondering if life will ever get back to normal. This pandemic is having a profound impact on our lives and our livelihoods and on our mental health. Navigating single life through the pandemic has been especially tough. And for people who live alone, the challenges of these lockdowns can be heightened by feelings of isolation and loneliness. So I've recorded this special episode with my favourite therapist, Rachel Voisey, from The Relationship Room in Sydney, to discuss the impact of these ongoing lockdowns on singles. We chat about a whole bunch of stuff, the singles bubble, the challenges of lockdown for single parents. We talk about dating during lockdown. Should you be doing it? And what are the pros and cons if you are? And we discuss sex with an ex. Come on, we've all thought about it. Is it really such a bad idea? Rachel is, as always, brilliant. She is so real and honest and funny and just so good at what she does. And I'm so pleased to be able to share this episode with you. But if anything we discuss in this podcast raises any concerns, you can always call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me. You know, we always love having you on the podcast here. Oh, thank you. It's nice to be on. It's actually nice to talk to anybody at the moment. I'm very excited. Now, I know as a therapist, you are always giving advice. You're the one that's always giving the counsel. But I also know on a personal level, you're a single mum. Mm-hmm. How are you coping in lockdown? Oh my gosh, like all of us are up and down, I guess. Yeah, I find it really hard. I think there's a lot of extra complexity to being alone at a time like this. And, you know, I try to be really real about that. I'm not going to pretend that it's great and that, you know, I'm living my best life. Absolutely not. But I try to make the most of it and do what I can. But yeah, it's really tough. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, we, we've heard so much about the physical effects of COVID since the pandemic started, but it feels like we're only just now starting to be more open in discussing the emotional and mental effects of what this pandemic is doing to people, particularly in light of these ongoing lockdowns. It is. It's a huge issue and it's a changing issue. That's what's interested me so much this lockdown in Sydney that we're having at the moment is it's gone on for a while now and it's got a really different feeling amongst the clients and people that I'm seeing than it did on the first lockdown. And it's a kind of changing thing as well. I think in that first lockdown, there was so much uncertainty and we all kind of had this doomsday thing of, oh my God, what the hell is going to happen now? And was there was kind of this uncertainty, like this pervasive like fear that was going on. And that brought on a whole lot of kind of emotions for people. And now in this lockdown, I'm seeing a really different thing where people are maybe not so much afraid as irritable. There's a lot more irritability and anger and maybe even like a sense of overwhelm. I've had a lot of clients having panic attacks and people really like, you know, really intensely affected in a very different way. So what's interesting to me is every time this happens, 
And as time goes on, the effects change on people. I, I, you hit the nail on the head there. That's exactly right. And you just yeah. never know when you're going to be plunged into lockdown. And I had this conversation on a group chat with some girlfriends the other day. And I've always felt hopeful and practical that lockdowns are required. But I, with this lockdown, that feeling has turned to anger. I'm angry that people are still doing the wrong thing that is forcing the lockdowns to continue. And it's that feeling of anger that you kind of have to contain because you're at home alone. And <laughs> Yeah, it's different, isn't it? Being angry is a very different thing to being scared and it brings a different kind of set of behaviours out in people too, right? When you're angry, you're much more likely to be resistant. People want to take control. They want to have a voice. When people are fearful and anxious, they become quite avoidant and they can go quite insular and almost kind of freeze in a way. So it's interesting you say that because that's exactly, it's that irritability, anger, frustration that is around that is pretty pervasive. I read the other day that Lifeline had more calls in a single day than they've ever had before during Mm -hmm. this lockdown. At what point would you suggest or recommend someone picks up the phone and calls Lifeline? I think if you really feel that it's something that is concerning you, you're having thoughts that are not normally the kind of thoughts you would have, you feel potentially intensely overwhelmed or your body starts to experience the symptoms of your mental health, like things like panic attacks, which let us know that our mind is taking control and our body is responding in a way that is uncomfortable and scary. If you feel like you know that you are not coping, like people tend to have a sense that this is different, this is not how I normally am, then that's the time to reach out for help because something like Lifeline is such an incredible resource and speaking to that other person on the phone, they can help you check in with where you're at, which is sometimes, you know, it's hard to check in with yourself all of the time when you start to lose your context around where you're at. So speaking to somebody else, like especially a trained professional at Lifeline is a great thing to do if you have any sense of concern that you're maybe not okay. You should take your mental health really seriously and that's why things like Lifeline exist. So obviously this podcast has a lot of listeners who are single Uh and I think there are unique and some really serious challenges in dealing with lockdown when you are single and or live alone. So that's what I kind of wanted to focus on with our chat today is just basically some handy tips for singles to make lockdown a little more bearable. But my first question to you in this regard is (laughs) we're all binging TV shows and there's a lot of chat about binging. What are you binging? What's the best thing to binge? I have noticed during lockdown I will be lying awake watching something on my laptop until 3 a.m. thinking, well, I should turn it off and go to sleep. But wait a minute, I've got nowhere to be tomorrow. I can stay up as long as I like and I can sleep it off tomorrow. I don't <laughs> think this is healthy, Rachel. God, I think a lot of the things are not healthy. I like, I have this funny little mantra with myself where, you know, like I don't know if you've ever heard that quote where they say dance like no one's watching. Okay. Yeah. My mantra to myself that I've been using is live like someone is watching because the fact that I'm alone and I can sit up till 3 a.m. on my laptop I probably wouldn't do if somebody was there to go, hey, like you probably should get some sleep. You know, sometimes the fact that when you're living alone and nobody is watching, it's easier to do things that you probably wouldn't do if somebody was because you'd know that they're pretty crappy for your mental and physical health. And sitting up till 3 a.m., you know, this is the thing in lockdown 
It is a perfect storm for mental health. If you wanted to come up with a recipe for how to get somebody depressed or anxious, you pretty much have all the ingredients right in front of you in a lockdown. So anything like sitting up and depleting your brain of you know serotonin and all the feel-good hormones that you get from your sleep is not probably an extra complication that you need when you've already got all these things like a lack of social contact, inability to exercise, maybe not eating as well as you normally would, not moving around in a routine, all these things that keep our mental health in check. You want to be really careful that you don't add in these extra stresses that you don't need. And so sitting up till 3 a.m. watching how great the show is, is probably not a good thing to do regularly, you know, just like drinking too much or doing anything else that puts a physical toll that compounds your mental health are things you probably should avoid. And if there was someone else there, I would think, would I do that? And often I think probably not because you would know that it is not good for you, but you can kind of secretly get away with it when you live alone. You just touched on it there. I was going to bring up alcohol. I know a lot of us are drinking more than we normally would, us meaning me. Uh, <laughs> go to my gin trolley at about, it's now about 4 p.m. every day and go, oh, is it too early to have a gin? And do you know what? I had on a Friday a couple of weeks ago, I called a girlfriend, it was like 12.30, and I said, I think I'm going to pour myself a glass of wine. And the way I rationalized it is, do you know what? Any other Friday out of lockdown, I'd probably be somewhere having a lovely lunch with my girlfriends anyway. (laughs) No, I don't think you'd be the only one doing that. I mean, look, it's drinking alone and and it's it's a long night when you're not going anywhere and a long day as well, which is where people tend to probably drink more because they are drinking alone and there's nothing else to do but pour another drink. You know, you're not even walking up to the bar and having a chat with your friend while you're ordering the drink. You're just pouring the drink and it definitely quickly gets out of control. Look, you have to be compassionate with yourself on these things and most people know where their healthy limits are and most people know when it's getting out of control. And I've had a few People tell me that they've cut back this lockdown and I I think that's probably got something to do with the fact that there is less fear, more anger this time. There are people who are kind of taking more control and actually saying, yeah, this time I'm actually not going to do that as much because I didn't like how I felt last time and I'm quite determined to come out of this better. So as long as you're not kind of hitting those places where you start to think that, yeah, this is actually making me feel worse, it's becoming a problem it might be time to kind of think about cutting back and and trying to more think about creating some healthy habits to come out with as opposed to coming out feeling like you've got to start all over again. Yeah, and we should also obviously say we only encourage responsible drinking. Absolutely. Well, you know what's so great is this whole Sober Curious movement with all these, like the amount of people that are getting into these non-alcoholic spirits and things which are not alcohol. I mean, I know they don't do the same thing, but, you know, people are making really cool cocktails and there's incredible lines of non-alcoholic beverages and beers and wines and people are actually getting into that because they feel like they're still having a kind of celebratory drink without the alcohol. So there are actually ways to kind of feel like you're somewhere in between, maybe one non-alcoholic drink, one alcoholic drink. (laughs) What did you call it? Sober Curious? Sober Curious. It's a movement that they're calling the Sober Curious movement, which is people that... They're not stopping drinking because they've got a dependence or an addiction issue. They're kind of interested in how they feel when they take alcohol out of the equation. And the interesting thing about this sober curious thing is a lot of people who stop drinking just feel this kind of intrinsic health benefit that actually makes them want to keep on not drinking, not because they have a drinking problem or not because they think they shouldn't drink, just because they enjoy not drinking. So that's where all these non-alcoholic alternatives are kind of springing onto the market. An interesting movement, but it's definitely got some traction out there. 
One thing I have felt that I need to really cut down on is exposure to watching the news. Yeah. I've always been a news junkie. I'm just glued to every news site. I watch every news bulletin and press conference. My TV in the background, even if I'm not watching it actively, it's on a news channel of some description. Mm. But I'm starting to feel in this lockdown that it is not healthy. I am feeling so disheartened. I feel frustrated. But there's a part of me that says, but Sam, you need to watch the news because you need to know what's going on. Yeah, it plays into a couple of things. And the first one is there's definitely a concept in mental health and in psychology that we talk about called cognitive overload, which is just way too much stimulus going in. Because every time you're exposed to information, your brain has to run a system across it, right? It has to process it and then it files it and it connects it to other things that you know. So when you're watching anything, your, you know, your mind is working to categorize that information and to do something with it, which is normally put it somewhere else that attaches to some other thing. It's like opening a file and putting it in the right filing cabinet. So when you're exposed to a lot of information of any sort, you can definitely feel this sense of cognitive overload, which is just too much energy being spent on sorting through information. And your brain will very quickly almost go into the feeling most people describe when they're cognitively overloaded is irritability. They start to get annoyed. They feel like they're kind of like got no capacity left because they're too much information, you know, I just need to stop. And that is a real thing. And when you're home as much as we all are in lockdown, there is a real propensity to leave the TV on and there's just constant chatter, information coming all day and you're not living your normal life and having those breaks that you would where you'd be seeing friends, going for a walk, going walking through, you know, the shopping centre and tuning that out. It's good to put some limits around it for that reason. And then the second thing is there are a lot of people feeling anxious as because, you know, anxiety is all about future-based fear and we are living with uncertainty in a way that we probably haven't in recent history every day. So the thing with anxiety is you've got to be careful how much you feed the anxiety. You know, it's one thing when to keep on feeding into the fear and it's another to sometimes be a little bit hard on anxiety and say, okay, you know what? that's enough. I don't need to stand outside with an umbrella in case it rains. I'm going to like stop and I'm just going to deal with what's in front of me. So the news, particularly outside of cognitive overload, can give you maybe too much content to feed your anxiety. So if you're a person that is feeling anxious during this lockdown, it's probably good to maybe get the news updates you need on your phone. You can, you know, that's so easy now, all the facts come through, or you can maybe watch the 11 a.m. update, but you maybe don't need to have a constant commentary of repetitious news running all day in the background. Good advice. I have to limit myself. I know that. Okay, let's talk about the singles bubble. Mm. From a psychological point of view, why is this so important, Rachel? Oh, my gosh. Thank God they did this. I was so glad they did what I heard. People that live alone have felt very alone in this lockdown, you know, and feeling alone, it's not the loneliness, it's the problem. The thing that most of us do when we feel emotions like loneliness or or negative emotions of any kind is that we start engaging in avoidance behaviours. We feel crappy and when we start actually going, I don't think I want to answer that phone call. I don't think I want to get on that Zoom. I can't be bothered with this. You know, it's those avoidance behaviours when you feel yucky of any sort that tend to be the things that then perpetuate you feeling worse and worse and worse. So for singles in this lockdown, there hasn't been that person to kind of chat with and pull you out. And, you know, even if it's just saying hi to someone in the kitchen, when you're walking to your respective computers, people that are single have not had that access to just human contact. And it's not the same as going to the supermarket and just walking past people. You actually need somebody that you're somewhat connected to. So this idea of a singles bubble was to create some connection for people that 
that are not in partnerships or, or are living alone in some sense. And I think it is one of the most important things they've done for people's mental health because it is very unnatural to be alone for as long as some people have had to be in these lockdowns. I'm really fascinated by what you said there about avoidance because you just made me realise I've been doing that and I wasn't even aware of it. The phone rings and I just don't want to answer it. There's no reason why. I mean, the phone's right in front of me. I just feel like I just don't have the energy right. to talk to anyone, even though I probably should be talking to people. That's right. You kind of think that's what you want, don't you? Like you think if we're living alone, we'd want to answer the phone. The interesting thing is when you're feeling disengaged and a bit lonely and deflated, you're less likely to answer the phone to have that chat. And so therefore your avoidance of that chat perpetuates the feeling of being alone. I've noticed it actually on so it's much easier to avoid when you're alone as well because nobody's see, saying, why don't you answer the phone, Sammy? It's, it's such and such calling. You just sit there, you don't answer it, nobody knows, and you go on with feeling pretty crap. So the cost of avoidance is massive in mental health. So when you feel awful, it's not the feelings that tend to perpetuate poor mental health. It's the things that you avoid because you feel awful. And it's really, really easy for all of us to just think, I can't be bothered because I feel crap today. But then I know on the flip side of that, when I do force myself to answer a call or call someone back or I do think, oh, I'll just jump on that Zoom call, I feel so much better afterwards. That's right. That's what you have to do. That's why you say to try and always try and work with clients on you might, you know, you can feel like you would want to avoid and maybe sometimes you just, you know, there's a difference between self-care and pulling back to have space and avoiding because you feel horrible. And you, in depression, you work with this thing called pleasant activity scheduling where you force people to go and do things that they, you know they'll feel better after they do. And, yeah, you're going to feel better after you take the phone call and have a chat and connect with a person or get on that Zoom party. And you're going to feel better than if you sat at home and watched another series of Yellowstone. That's my thing at the moment. Um, and you're very unlikely to get off and wish you hadn't answered the call. Let's put it that way. So what's a healthy way to use the single bubble and what's the key to choosing the right person oh my to God. you in your bubble? Uh, you know what? You remember when it used to be like funny to say who would you be stranded on a desert island? Like that seemed like a hilarious concept because we were never going to the desert island. It's like happening. It's not funny anymore. Like how do you choose that person? This is such a hard you try to choose somebody that you can that you connect well with, that is compassionate, honest, and open, and you, you have a good connection with. You need someone that you connect with and who makes you feel good, but maybe also somebody that can, you know, give you a bit of tough love if you are a bit, you know, in a bit of a low state. You might need someone who does say to you, hey, Sammy, you know what, you should really pick up the phone more often when such and such calls or, you know, it's time to get out of your pyjamas or whatever with your friend in singles bubble. So it's picking the person that you can connect with, that you trust, but, God, that's really hard to get that person to be your singles bubble friend. So it's a really, you know, you have to be realistic too about who's actually available, who else is in a similar situation to you so that you're both going to kind of get something out of that interaction perhaps and, and know that you don't feel like you're burdening that person or they're burdening you. So it, it's a really tricky one, I have to say, is picking a, picking a singles bubble mate. Well, that's true because I had chosen a, a single bubble girlfriend, but she's actively dating. And I know that if she meets someone and that kind of develops, she's going to dump me like a hot potato. And I think, wait a minute, I have not chosen wisely with my single bubble. <laughs> it's harder than finding the perfect partner online. It's like, who do you pick? I find this really difficult. And I really do think you know, all those jokes about who you've been on Desert Island with are just like so not funny anymore if you're single. <laughs> so is it best to choose someone who's not dating? 
probably. I just pick somebody who's got a lot of time and not much to do. (laughs) So they're really desperately enjoying my company when I call them up. I don't know. It's terrible. It's hard. Let's talk about the intimate partner. Yeah. How important is this? to have oh my gosh so this is if you already have an intimate partner or is this trying to find one which one i think any opportunity to have some intimacy i wanted to talk about how important that level of intimacy is when you're single and or living alone for extended periods of time yeah look i mean intimacy is always important because intimate touch and even just emotional intimacy, the the person who you're really close to, we know that that has lots of outcomes that makes us feel incredibly better than we would without it. So it's important. But what's difficult about this particular situation in lockdown is I've had to pick up a few people recently and be a little bit tough love with the, are you sure you're not just using this as an excuse to call your ex? Like, are are you really sure it's about the intimacy and it's not like, it's just a great opportunity to kind of talk yourself into the fact that it is the time to contact all those people that you've never quite got over that might live close and that you have had sex with before and might be the person that could be your partner at this time. It can you kind of got to be careful, I suppose, if you've got an intimate partner and you are in that situation where you're living apart and you're allowed to see each other, because I know that's been part of some of the compassionate care, then look, it's great to see someone. But if it's about just hooking up with somebody just for the intimacy, I think, unfortunately, it tends to get a bit more complicated emotionally than that for most people. I can't believe you brought that up. My next question written on this piece of paper in front of me, is it unhealthy to connect sexually with an ex just because you have no other option, which may or may not come from the fact that I've had two exes come out of the woodwork (laughs) messaging me to see how I am in the last couple of weeks. Oh, I know, and it's so tempting. And you know what? Look, if you're in an emotionally good place, it's probably fine. But, you know, I've said it to you before because it's another thing I say all the time. You don't really want to invest more than you can afford to lose. And if you're not feeling your best in lockdown and then you're going to be more vulnerable to getting, you know, emotionally yo-yoed by an ex, is that worth it? Probably not. But if you're kind of feeling in a good place, you think you've got, you know, pretty good boundaries with that person and it can just be, you know, something that you can contain without sending you over the edge of an emotional cliff, then it's probably nothing wrong with it. You know what it's like with any ex. My God, it's like every skeleton comes out of the closet and all the insecurities and the rejection and all of those things can come back up like they never left. But I think it plays into that concept of on the desert island, I don't know how long I'm going to be in this, I'm alone, I may as well have sex with my ex because we might all be dead next week. Exactly, that's right, absolutely. That's definitely also a lot of what happened in the first lockdown, you know, when people did feel like that. And if it's good for you, then do it. But if it's not good for you, then don't make yourself feel worse tomorrow for something that makes you feel good today. Unfortunately, exes can have a lot of power, but if you can just go, it's a bit of sex, it's fun, it's touch, it's intimacy, it makes me feel good and there's not a lot of risk that it's going to make me feel worse, then go ahead, you know, why not? Is that really just in this case being able to separate the physical from the emotional when it comes to sex? Absolutely, and we know how easy that is. (laughs) Not... And we know how that always goes. Like, I'm so, like, so hard as a relationship therapist, the amount of times that gets asked. I've sat with the most progressive couples where we've got all the boundaries and rules in the world, and somehow someone's always ends up in tears. It's very difficult to do. But if you can do it, then please write a book on it. (laughs) (laughs) What about for people who, not necessarily an ex, but maybe it's that guy you went on a couple of dates with, maybe you slept with him once, and then he 
he breadcrumbed you and ghosted you and now he's slid back into your DMs or sent you a cheeky little message to say, how are you going in lockdown? Have you found yourself a single bubble partner yet? What would be your advice in that instance of, okay, I'm just going to catch up with them because I'm alone and it doesn't really matter versus I'm going to stay at home and watch a few episodes of Bridgerton. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd be in category two. I think if you can do it and you can be empowered around it and you can take it as that, like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to have some sex, this is whatever. If you can do that, then absolutely go ahead and do it. If you can be empowered around it and you can feel good about the fact that you're in control of this, then go ahead and do it. But if you feel like it's going to take you out of control, you're going to end up getting emotional and feeling bad or feeling used, then don't do it. Okay, let's talk about dating in lockdown. Is it a good idea to be dating right now? Oh, my gosh. Is it a good idea to be dating ever? Who knows? I mean, this is a hard question. Always in lockdown, it's even harder. If you feel like doing it, of course, it's it's a good use of time, I suppose. And I've, I've said it before in previous lockdowns. The interesting thing is a lot of people get onto online dating at these times who maybe aren't on as much or don't have as much time to put into it. So there's always the chance that you could get on and meet someone nice. And even if what you think is dating ends up just being a person that you enjoy their company and it ends up going nowhere afterwards. Is that such a bad thing? Probably not. So there's nothing wrong with dating and lots and lots of people still are, that's for sure. There still tends to be lots of dating happening. It's interesting though because very quickly at the moment with any kind of online dating, you certainly get this splitting of the pack where you get the rule breakers and the rule abiders mm-hmm. who are like following the rules because there's some people who are like, oh, it doesn't matter, you know, it's just you can just have a walk or it's only two kilometres out of the 10-kilometre radius or the five-kilometre radius depending where you are. And then there's the other people that are very keen on following the rules. So that can always be quite an immediate split with people that are online dating at the moment. Some people, like if they come up against somebody who's a rule breaker and they're a real follower, will very quickly not want to continue on chatting with that person. Having your boundaries is always a very important part of any kind of dating, knowing where your boundaries are. In dating at the moment, if someone's really pushing your boundaries and pushing you to meet up or to do things like, you know, maybe even if it's just kind of like sexting or online sexual activity stuff and you're not comfortable, you can very quickly kind of pick somebody that's not respecting your boundaries and they're probably the people that it's better to quickly move on from and on to the next person or maybe off altogether. I guess the dangers of dating during lockdown is that your loneliness can impair your judgment and perhaps encourage you to make some silly decisions, form some false connections, see things that aren't there. How do you balance that out when you're dating during lockdown? There's always that risk, I suppose, of seeing things that aren't there at any time in dating. And I think at the moment, There are also a lot of people that are just online dating for something to distract them, like almost like entertainment. You know, they're not actually really looking for relationships, but they've got nothing else to do. So you kind of need to be aware of that, I think, and thinking about taking it with a little bit of a grain of salt, like a bit differently to how you would if it was easier to access people and go on real life dates. The other thing I guess I've noticed a lot of is there's a lot more rejection that goes on at the moment with lockdown dating because you can kind of have your chat and then it burns out. And more than ever, you probably need to not take that rejection personally because a lot of people are not in a good headspace everywhere. So when you're online dating, you're coming up against those people and they're very often, as we were saying before, they might be having a bad day and they just completely want to avoid everybody, let alone some person they've just started chatting to on Hinge. 
So you kind of have to give people the benefit of the doubt, I think, not take anything too personally and watch out for those warning signs like people that are pushing your boundaries or who are acting strangely or pushing for things you're uncomfortable with. You just have to have your radar out a little bit more, I think, for anything that seems odd or strange in dating. You've got to be able to let it go if it's not working and see the red flags and not try and push it just because you're a bit bored or you've got nothing. The alternative isn't great at the moment. Well, how can you avoid building those false connections through loneliness? Mm. Loneliness is like water in the desert when you're lonely, isn't it? You know, and you're chatting to someone and they're even asking how your day is. <laughs> you think, oh my God, this is great, you know. So when you need something more, you're more inclined to convince yourself that maybe you like it or it's better than it is. It's a kind of hard one to get around because it is one of those principles where people do kind of have this cognitive distortion of when you need something or you're more invested for whatever reason, you do tend to hold on to it a little bit more tightly than you would when you have other choices. Yeah. I think a good thing to do is make sure that if you are dating, you're checking in with your friends that you do have about the people you're dating because they're normally the people that know you best. So, I know a lot of my friends are really good at helping each other pick up the red flags when we know that one of us is maybe a little bit attached for the wrong reasons. So running it past the people that you trust, if you're feeling like you're chatting to someone and and maybe that there are things that you're concerned about, but also I think holding it lightly and thinking, well, when this lockdown's over and real life continues, you might kind of let some of these things go then too. You know, I have... Definitely last lockdown, I know I had a lot of clients. And when lockdown ended and they really actually started spending physical time with these people that they were chatting to for maybe sometimes months, there just wasn't the chemistry or it didn't work. And, you know, it very quickly fell over in real life. So if you are going to pursue things too, even if they're not perfect, as long as you can hold them lightly and be ready to potentially let them go, if they're not, it's probably the best thing you can do to protect yourself from getting overly invested in something that's wrong for you. Yeah, that's what I think is just avoid getting overly invested, protect yourself. But then there are always people that just wear their heart on their sleeve and jump in and give it all. This might just be cynical Sammy coming out, but I believe during lockdown it's when a lot of those time wasters come out, a lot of the game players, people who are potentially in a relationship or have a partner and three kids in the next room and they're just online for a bit of fun. They have no interest in ever actually developing a serious relationship and or meeting someone outside of lockdown. I know you're a therapist, not a so-called dating expert, Mm -hmm. but is there anything you can suggest as far as how to spot a time waster? This is a really hard one because often it's the time wasters that offer up everything that we think is what we want. You know, they're the ones that will say anything or they'll try and be the person you want them to be as opposed to the person they are because they are just playing a game, right? You're playing chess, just moving across the chessboard and they're the one who is controlling the game because – Like you said, they're wasting your time. They're doing it because they've got nothing better to do and they think it's a bit of fun. If you feel that something is a little bit off or it's a little bit too good to be true or they're kind of saying all the right things in a way that makes you think, oh, this person's just stringing this conversation along, that's always a good warning sign. People that are healthy in online dating tend to take it slow. They almost are developing a friendship first. They're not kind of coming on with that love bombing kind of stuff that we see. I think the time wasters are often the ones that will love bomb you because they want to keep the game going. And to keep the game going, they've got to play on your emotions and give you what they think you want. Yeah. So, you know, keeping it slow, don't reveal too much about yourself. And if anyone's coming on too strong, or I suppose the other one, which I always think these ones are quite obvious, but, you know, you do live and learn with dating. The ones that are pushing for sexual stuff really quickly, if that's not what you're interested in and they're very quickly sending you the dick pics or they're like asking, you 
that is a really bad red flag at any time because it's disrespecting most people's boundaries and they're moving in a direction where they're just trying to get quick, cheap thrills out of it. So they're the ones where, you know, any kind of very quick sexual innuendo that you feel creeped out by, yeah. move on, get rid of them. Let's leave this on a positive note. There there will hopefully be some beautiful love stories that emerge out of lockdown. Yeah, there, there will be. There always are, I think, which is which is lovely. I've you know, met lots of couples that came out of the last lockdown that are still happily together. You know, so much of dating is about crossing paths with the right person and not just the right person, but at the right time for both of you. You know, so much of when people commit is not just about meeting the right person. It's about them being at a stage where they are emotionally ready for a relationship. And that's true for both women and men. So the other thing I often say to clients is I've met lots of fantastic couples who do meet and have kind of complex interesting beginnings and go on to have fantastic relationships so there will be people that maybe find the love of their life if such a thing exists in lockdown <laughs> so you know i believe the love of your life still takes work but i'm coming from a biased point of view it's still what you do with it it's not just about you know lightning striking you've got to put the work in to keep it healthy but yeah. meeting the right person is certainly possible definitely so we all know you are a single parent, three beautiful kids. Mm-hmm. What are some tips for dealing with kids as a single parent? It's look, it's I think having the kids home as much as we all have is difficult. It's got different complexities. There's so many different configurations of people doing it. There's parents doing it together. You know, of course, single parents who might be doing it all the time by themselves or otherwise maybe doing it 50-50 with their partner. There's so many different situations going on out there. But the one thing that it certainly brings for everybody is a huge amount of extra stress and work and complexity and, you know, a whole new category of things to feel like you're not doing well enough. It's one of these things where you, you can't underestimate the toll that that's putting on everybody who has children. The nice thing about having children, I guess, is there's the nice thing that they're around and there's extra people in the house, but that's a double-edged sword because those people can, you know, be fantastical if you can absolutely want to throttle them. So, you know, it just, again, it depends what day you're on, I suppose. I think it's really important to be able to talk about it with friends or other people in similar situations because it is one of those things where it is what it is. It's difficult. There's no way around that. So if you can have that kind of process to have a chat with someone on a bad day or, you know, have some kind of little contract with yourself about if it gets too much, you know, maybe you're going to walk out the front and take a breath or go around the block or whatever you need to do to kind of call some limits. You kind of need to be quite aware about where those limits are and what you're going to do if you hit them because I've certainly spoken to people that feel like they've had days where they just feel like they, you know, they're really irritable, they're over it and they've taken that out in a moment by raising their voice or not being their best self and they're really making themselves feel very guilty about it, which is, of course, never particularly helpful. It's a huge amount of work and you've got to try and get the support that you can get with it or put things in place to give yourself a break and catch a little bit of extra energy wherever you can. I guess you've touched on something there that would be affecting a lot of people. Is there an increased sense of parent guilt? But especially when, I don't know, and like everyone's putting their, their best moments on Facebook and Instagram, like it's hard too because I think people are often looking at what other parents are doing with their homeschooling and then feeling, oh, God, they're bad, you know, they feel terrible, they're not doing enough creative projects with their children. So it's one of those things where that you can come from that place of comparison very easily and coming from a place of comparison is the quickest way to make yourself feel terrible. So, you know, you have to kind of keep your eyes in your own lane, do it your way and, and try not to worry too much that, somebody's doing it better than you or you should be doing more and you just got to do your best and do what you can and 
write this off as it is, you know. It's a very unique time. You can only do what you can do, but making yourself feel guilty and worse about the fact that you're not doing it as well as your friend on Facebook is not the way to go. So do you have one very simple tip or mantra for that parent that is at the end of their tether, they've been trying to work, trying to homeschool, kids are running rampant, can't be bothered cooking dinner, you just feel like you're going to explode. Is there one little easy tip you can give for calming yourself down or getting it together? Oh, you know what? I think there's the thing that I guess we say a lot in, in therapy is you have to feel your feelings. Like it's okay to feel overwhelmed and crappy. And if you can say that to yourself or say it to someone else, you might, you kind of find instant relief sometimes just going, I'm struggling. I'm not coping. I need, you know, this is a really bad day. That is probably, I think, always the number one tip because if you keep on trying to push it down, it, the emotion pushes itself back up. Um, so I think be honest with yourself, ask for support, chat with your friends, you know, because you can't probably change much of the practical part of it. Going for a walk if you can, taking a break, locking yourself in the bathroom for a shower for maybe a little bit longer than you normally would. Those kind of things are helpful, but ultimately they don't fix the fact that you've got this huge sense of responsibility that is going on day after day with no end in sight at this point. So, I mean, people keep coming into me going, oh my gosh, you know, you're, you're here at work. How are you homeschooling your kids? And I'm not a child psychologist and I definitely should never be because I've just been doing it mostly by threats. I'm just like, if you don't do it, there will be no PlayStation. <laughs> so I was like, that's my, my parenting is by a threat. So I've been making jokes about it to people, which you know, sounds terrible. But to be honest, some moments that is what I do. And I'm not scared to say that because that's just the burden that it is. There's good moments and bad moments. And I try not to hide my bad moments so I don't make other people feel worse. When your kids are with your ex and mm. there's that temptation after, let's say, a week of having the kids there and that, you know, frustration and anger is building every day. Finally, the kids go to the ex. Mm. There's probably a temptation to just want to be alone. But how important is it to use that time when the kids aren't there to actually go and engage with some other adults and have some adult company and interaction? Yeah, this is a, probably comes to that test of am I avoiding or is this kind of self-care, is this me recharging? Because, you know, when you've had a noisy house full of kids or, you know, and they've suddenly gone off and you've got some quiet they can certainly be really restorative to have some peace, have some quiet, actually maybe watch a series without being interrupted 10 times. Or There is some self-care to that, but self-care isn't the same thing as avoiding things because you feel crappy and you can't be bothered to interact with anyone. You know, it's really important to connect with other adults and to have those conversations where you feel understood and heard. So you need to have that balance of a little bit of self-care, quiet and downtime that you're not getting, but also making sure that you, if you can, you're using that time to connect with your friends and family and the people you can that make you feel good, whether that's for a chat or a walk or whatever that is, you know, you might be able to access your singles bubble friend when they're not there, you know. So if you do have a relationship, that might be a time where you can be with your partner, which is fantastic. But if you're feeling that your emotions are getting you down and you're starting to just go into avoidance, it's good to come back to that thing of what's the cost of this avoidance because I'm probably going to feel better if I force myself to do a little bit of what I don't think I want to do. And I think there's something valuable about if you are a single parent, choosing your single bubble partner wisely because, you know, as you know, one of my girlfriends is a single mum and, you know, we are single bubble partners. And I'm sure one of the main reasons she chose me is because I have a bathtub and she doesn't. But Rachel, seriously, when she comes over, she pours herself 
a glass of wine, disappears into the bathroom and sits in my bath for literally two hours. I don't see her for two hours. Oh, my God, I love it. That's a brilliant reason. (laughs) That sounds perfect. I actually go in and refill her wine. Oh, my God. (laughs) Several times. I always tell you that. You really are. My advice to single parents is choose your single bubble partner wisely and if they have a bathtub, even better. Oh, definitely, <laughs> bathtub and a glass of wine. Yep, that's my, that'd be my choice too. <laughs> Tell me that. I'll be applying next. <laughs> Rachel, you are the best. I am so, so happy to have you as a friend, as a therapist on my podcast. I just, I love, I love even just being on here. You know, I love all things relationships. I've always been fascinated by relationships. I was watching Woody Allen movies when my friends were watching Anna Green Gables. I just love it. I love all things dating and relationships. <laughs> So it's always a pleasure to talk about it. And I, if one thing helps, then, you know, I'm happy. So that's where I come from on it. Well, thank yeah. you. Once again, I know that you have provided many, many valuable tips in this chat. And I look forward to chatting to you oh again God. for the next one. I look forward to seeing you out of lockdown. <laughs> we can even just have that casual kiss, hello, or hug, which now feels so incredibly special. <laughs> so see you on the other side. <laughs> Thanks, hon. Just a reminder, the number for Lifeline is 13 11 14, or please dial triple O if your life is in immediate danger. This podcast is produced and presented by me, Sammy Lucas. Audio director is the wonderful Robbie Wood. You can find out more about Rachel Boise at her website. It's relationshiproom.com.au. And yes, she does online appointments as well. And you can find out more about me or this podcast at my website, sammylucas.com. <laughs>